so this being a new year, uh, we're all, maybe, maybe all of us, many of us, are, are talking about New Year's resolutions, right? And uh, there's, there's lots of things during this time of the year that we resolve. For this year, we will do things differently, or we're going to change aspects of our life, right? And that's what New Year's resolutions are all about. We look at something in us, we feel like this needs to change. And so I thought, I, I looked up the, the, the top 10 New Year's resolutions, and there's many lists, but here's some of the, some of the top, I, I made my own list of top 12 based on the list that I looked at, and I just thought, this is a pretty, pretty universal kind of list of many of the things that people resolve to change uh, for the upcoming year, and we do this every year, we'll do it again next year too, by the way, uh, but here's some of the top 10, or uh, top 12 New Year's resolutions. Number one on almost all the lists is staying fit and healthy, Right? Can I get an amen? Many of you, is that, is that number one on your list this year? Number two, lose weight, which I think kind of ties in with that, so we might just call that one. Number three, get organized. Four, spend less, save more. Five, enjoy life to the fullest. Six, learn something new or exciting. Seven, quit smoking. Uh, eight, I like this, and help others in their dreams. Now, I, I know what they mean, but I just when I read it, I thought that's kind of funny. You kind of... You know, sleep next to each other, and then in your dream, you jump into theirs, and you start, and I'm just kidding, <laughs> whatever that means, helping others in their dreams. Number nine, fall in love, a good goal. Number 10, spend more time with the family. Number 11, read more. Number 12, travel more. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those, any of those goals, any of those resolutions, um, but as I was looking at these different resolutions, I was reflecting on my own life, and there's, there's things in there that I would love to do better this year. But really, when it boils down to it as believers, we have a whole different list of resolutions, daily resolutions that, that Lord willing, the Lord is always working on our hearts and our minds, showing us the things that we're lacking, driving us towards the things that, that we need to become more and more like him. And I feel like if, if we were to sit down together as the body of Christ and talk about this, our resolutions would, would be drastically different. And first and foremost, because our number one resolution for this year must be to glorify God more in everything that we do, right? That must be our only resolution. And then that begins to play out in many other things, right? Uh, I want to uh, glorify the Lord more in the way that I think this year, that my thoughts would be captive to to his thoughts, and they would become more and more like his, that my words would become more and more like his words, that my actions would become more and more like his actions, right? And then you see how that plays out in your life. As an employee, You want to to work as unto the Lord, not fearing man, but glorifying God in everything you do at the workplace. If if we're married, you want to glorify the Lord as a husband in the way that I lay down my life for my wife, in the way that I sanctify her, in the way that I think of her, and and I treat her as a a weaker vessel, as a fellow heir of the grace of God. Uh, I I need to live with her in an understanding way so that my my worship, my prayers are not hindered, right? And as as, uh, a parent... That, that I glorify the Lord more this year by making sure that I discipline and instruct my child, that I lead them towards Christ, that I exemplify Christ in the way that I live my life. And I think all of us have those things weighing on our hearts. All of the children of God will because the Spirit of God is working in us and it's driving us towards those resolutions, right? And so this morning, uh, again, having the privilege to, to stand up here and, and to uh, speak the Word of God with you guys, uh, I just thought of... One of, the, one of the number one resolutions of my life this year is to be a better parent. And so I thought this would be a great time to talk about parenting. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to look at Ephesians 6.4, one verse this morning. 
And you know this is dangerous, diving right in the middle of a, a letter or a book of the Bible and pulling out one verse. So while you're flipping there, finding Ephesians on page 742, I will, uh, I'm just kidding, I will, I will kind of give us some context of, of what's going on. Last time I was uh, able to be up here, we, we talked about marriage, which comes right before this passage in Ephesians. And uh, in the close context of that, um, the, the role between husbands and wives, we saw that God designed marriage to, to sanctify his children. It's a relationship that God has designated uh, and he uses as, as both uh, uh, exemplify Christ and, and the wife exemplifies the church in relationship to Christ and the husband and Christ to the church, that they're both in a way to uh, uh, live in submission uh, to God and to his um, Roles and through selfless sacrificial love, they both help sanctify each other to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, when we look at parenting, you got to start there. If if you cannot be a faithful parent, if you're not being a faithful uh, spouse, and you cannot be a faithful godly spouse if you're not walking faithfully with God, right? So it begins with our walk with the Lord that plays out in all of our relationships. Like I said, whether it be at the workplace, at home, wherever we may be. Now, this is in the big context. From Ephesians 4 to Ephesians 6, you've got these, these, these imperatives, these commands that the Lord has given us. And this is based on the, the beginning of Ephesians, which is, by the grace of God, we are saved, right? All of us are dead in our sins, but God, by his love and mercy, sent his Son. And through his, by his grace, through faith, we are saved, made alive together with Jesus Christ. Then we become part of the church. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, made a part of the body of Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 4, he gives us all these commands. One of them is to walk worthy of this calling that you have been called. This thing we're going to talk about today is, is, is what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling of being a Christian. You say you're a Christian, you're a child of God. Here's what a child of God looks like uh, as a, uh, a husband, I mean, I'm sorry, as a father or a mother. It's in the context of imitating God. As beloved children, imitate God, your father. Or walking in love as Christ loved. We're to imitate Jesus Christ. God became a man and lived a life for us to see what it looks like to be Fully man, yet fully holy and fully God. And we're to imitate Jesus Christ in the way that we live our lives. It's in the context of walking as children of light. It's in the context of walking wisely. It's in the context of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being controlled by the Spirit. Letting the Spirit of God control your thoughts, control your words, control your actions. So that you live a Spirit-filled life. And it's in the context of submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So the foundational principles that we're looking at today, that all of this is based on, is humility, submission, selflessness, and sacrificial love. And the example that we're all to strive towards in those foundational principles is Jesus Christ himself. Everything else falls short. So we're all falling short. And we're all in this together. So we we have to continually edify, encourage, admonish one another to strive towards that goal of Jesus Christ and to be godly parents. So we're looking at Ephesians 6.4, and we're calling this the stewardship of parents. The stewardship of parents. And, and, and actually, before we even read the verse, there's a few things that I have learned as a parent from studying this verse, from studying Deuteronomy 6, from, from just basically the Lord convicting me and changing me uh, in my life as a parent. And, and here's some of the, the, the main things that I've learned that have driven me towards trying to love my children the way that God has called me to love my children. And the first thing is knowing that, that we are, as parents, we are stewards of God's children. Those are his children. We're the representatives of God for his children. We are mediators between God and his children. And we're there to exemplify Christ and to proclaim his truth with clarity and love. 
In other words, one of the things that really propelled me forward in my parenting is when I realized these weren't my kids. They're not mine. I didn't create them. I didn't weave them together in the womb and fearfully and wonderfully make them. I I wasn't the one in the dark and in secret making these little children. We see in the Bible, even talking to Israel, as Israel was doing horrible things to their, their own offspring, and God is angry with the people of Israel. And he says, these are my children that you're sacrificing to, to other gods and other idols. And he calls them his. They were taking his little creations, and they were doing with them whatever they wanted to do. And if we understand that these are not our children, that, that is the best place to start. They're God's They've been entrusted to us. The Lord blesses us with children. They are ours in some capacity in this life. But he gives them to us to take care of them and to watch over them. The one that has made them has given us very specific and explicit instruction on what we are to do with them. It's not up to us. It's not like you're the mom and dad and you have the authority to decide how you parent your child. If you're a child of God, we live in submission to the word of God and he is the authority and he has instructed us on how to raise his children so that they know him. He's given us the task as parents to nurture, to nourish and to cherish and to protect his children. He's given us the role of exemplifying Christ-like character to his children. That was, that was hard-hitting. When I realized that, that there is nobody on this planet that my daughter should ever go to to see a better example of Jesus Christ than me. And that, I mean, you get low quick, right? That humbles you very fast. It's not up to the pastor or the youth pastor or their school teachers or anyone else. You must imitate Christ to the best so that they see that in the home and that makes them want to become more like Jesus Christ. We're given the role as parents of of disciplining his children when they're going astray in their actions or their words or their thinking so that they can be restored and trained towards Christ's likeness. We're given the job of speaking the truth of God to his children so they know him, so they love him, so they fear him, so they believe in him. I know right there a lot of people would say, well, we we can't control their salvation. But that's not what he's saying. It is our stewardship and our role to make sure that they know him. God always takes care of his children. We'll look at that in a second. But you can't toss out your stewardship in the name of his sovereignty, right? He is a sovereign God that is in control of the hearts and the lives of all of his children. He will bring all of his children to himself, but he has given us as parents the task of bringing them there and teaching them his truth. He is the one that creates them, and yes, they are sinners. They're in a world of sin. They're separated from God because of their sinfulness. And he grants us as parents the responsibility of bringing them to him. This is a wonderful task. It's an awesome responsibility. And it's terrifying all at the same time. And that's what it means to be a parent. That's the stewardship of parents. So, as parents, we must open his word and wash our minds clean. And this is what we're always striving to do. Wash our minds of the deceit, the distractions, the distortions, the discrepancies that are devised in this world to dissuade us from the eternally important task that God has placed before us to shepherd his children to him. And so that's what we're hoping to do this morning. As we read his word, uh, our great shepherd has given us instructions and allowed us to comprehend his truth through his Holy Spirit and through the divine word that he's given us. And he equips us with his spirit to do these tasks. These aren't, these aren't too hard for us. He allows us and equips us to be able to do this. So let's read Ephesians 6.4. 
And then we will pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand his word, to submit to his word, to know his word. And Lord willing, we can all walk out of here more equipped, more ready, more able this new year to love our children and to to raise them in a way that glorifies him. So read along with me. Ephesians 6, 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, as we open your word, even reading these few words, Father, we know these come from your mind, from your mouth. The entire word of God is inspired by you, given to us for instruction, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we are, are, are equipped, ready, and able uh, to, to live our lives in a way that glorifies you, to, to do the work you've called us to do. All parents in this room, Lord, filled with your spirit, know that this is, a, this is a mandate for our life, a huge calling, a terrifying verse, but we desire, we desire to submit to your word and to know you more so that we can be more faithful parents. And we pray this morning, Lord, help us. Help us to, to hear your words. Help us to submit to your truth. Change our hearts and our minds and our lives. Help us to begin to faithfully practice the things of your word so that we can glorify you in the way that we treat our children, speak to our children, think of our children. Forgive us as we fall short. Forgive us how we've fallen short. And help us to stand up with courage and strength, knowing that your spirit is sufficient. And help us to walk in a manner worthy of you. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first, the first thing that we need to know is that parents must pursue holiness. Parents, we must pursue holiness in our lives. We get this from the first part of the verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The word fathers here definitely means fathers. All right? and, and, and as men, we are the head of our house. And how our house is run is, is, is our responsibility. And we need to make sure that we understand that. Fathers, we must not provoke our children. But this word in the Greek um, can be used to specifically single out fathers, but it can also be used to speak of both parents. So we're, we're in this together, mothers and fathers. We cannot provoke our children to anger. Now, this, this command here is an imperative command. We must do this. It's in the negative. It's do not provoke. We start with the negative, what not to do. Here's what we can't do as parents, and that's provoke our children to anger. To provoke is basically to stir up within them, to cause them to be angry, to, to do things uh, uh, for, we do things that cause them to be exasperated uh, or, or angry. Uh, John MacArthur has a little bitty book, and this is a great book for any dad in here. It's called Being a Dad Who Leads. All right? If you're like, I just don't read, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know, like 80 pages, and, and it's tiny. It's like this big. So it's, it's, it's a great book, and he sums up a lot of really good things. It's just a good book to have around to just kind of check yourself. But, but one of the things he says in there about not exasperating your children, he says, do not make unreasonable demands on them. Don't do things that will drive them to anger or to despair or resentment. He says, Paul's words about provoking a child suggest a repeated ongoing pattern of behavior on the part of the parents. That's the key right there. A repeated pattern, a repeated behavior, uh, or I would say even, even a, a thought, a belief in our lives uh, that we continually do. He says, over time, this builds up and makes the child more and more frustrated and angry. All of us have this in us. None of us are in that place of perfect holiness and perfection. 
we're all still fighting through our own sinfulness, right? But just understanding that our weaknesses, if not dealt with or worked uh, on, especially inside of our children, can become things that provoke them towards anger or for, provoke them not to believe in the things of God. He has a list in there, and it was, this is great. This is just a good chat to kind of go through uh, every once in a while and just check yourself. But his list is being overprotective, showing favoritism, setting unrealistic achievements and goals, allowing them to be overindulgent, allowing your children to be overindulgent, uh, discouragement, a failing to make sacrifices for them, failing to allow them to grow up, neglect abusive words and physical abuse. And so that was MacArthur's list, and that was it is a good list. And it's a, like I said, it's a little book. All dads go out and grab it and just keep it next to your bed at night and just look over it every once in a while. It's a, a good tool. But what we want to look at today is why would a parent ever provoke their child? What would cause us as parents, and we will and we have, provoke our children? And, 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 and so as I was studying the word, I started looking at one of the best examples in the Bible of, of provocation is the nation of Israel, right? The nation of Israel continually provoked the Lord God, who is holy and righteous, perfectly holy, uh, to anger. Righteous anger, not sinful anger like you and I, but continually provoked him to anger uh, in, in, uh, in the wilderness, and it was an ongoing pattern of behavior in them in the same way that it's an ongoing pattern of behavior in us uh, that caused this provocation. And what I was looking at there, and one of the things, if you just sum it all up, is it all boils down to sin in our life or a lack of holiness in our life. And this sin or this lack of holiness is the thing that causes the provocation, if not worked on or dealt with. And it could, come, it could stem from different places. It could stem from forgetting the word of God. Forgetting in the moment, forgetting to practice the Word of God. It could stem from neglecting the Word of God. You're not reading the Word of God. You're not being washed with the Word of God. You don't know what the Word of God is, and so you're not practicing it, and therefore sin is, is, is present in your life and in your thoughts and your words and your actions. Or it could be rejecting the commands of God. You've heard it, but you disagree. You've heard it, but you're still going to do it your way. Either way, this provocation comes from some, some sort of neglect, uh, uh, um, forgetting, rejecting the commands of God, or it could even be complaining towards God, right? When things aren't going our way, but God is still in his sovereignty controlling all those things, and we complain, or we grumble, or even rebel against God. And again, all those things Israel did in the desert. Uh, and, and they were, you know, and, and, and it's a good example, because you could also look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that love is not easily provoked. And our children aren't sinless, and so we could be like, well, you should not be easily provoked by my sin. But, you know, that's not a, we can't, we can't use that as a cop-out. What we need to look at is what a holy God did when provoked. Then look at Israel as the example for us, and then strive not to do the things that they did that provoked a holy God towards anger. And, and do that towards our children in love of them. So they grumbled. We grumbled. They argued. They complained. They worried. They longed for the experiences and pleasures of this life, the melons and leeks of Egypt. They, and they did all this rather than submitting faithfully and will, uh, willingly and joyfully to the commands of God and trusting in his loving ways. And I, I guarantee you, if you just trace back whatever it is in your life that is provoking your child, it will come down to some root of sin or lack of holiness that, is causing, that, 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 that we are not uh, trusting in the Lord, obeying his word in some way, submitting to him, acting in humility or kindness, or even acting as faithful parents and disciplining and, 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 and training our children. And so God, in love of his children Israel, actually wiped out the first generation, right? For the sake of the second generation. 
If we look at the example of God and Israel, God blessed and cursed based on their faithfulness so that whether they were faithful or faithless, it didn't matter what they did, his name would be glorified and he would be proven true and good and faithful. And he says this a lot in the Old Testament. For my own name's sake, for my own name's sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Four times in Ezekiel 20, he says this, speaking of the destruction of of Jerusalem. He says, I acted for my name's sake. But this is good for us as parents. Because if we understand, no matter what we do, faithful or faithless, for his name's sake, he always takes care of his children. That is a good place to be. Because again, remember, these are God's children. And, And God takes care of his children. Now, it doesn't get us off the hook. In fact, it makes the hook bigger and stronger, and we'll talk about that in a second. But listen to this. God is faithful, and he always proves himself faithful. He always proves himself faithful. Listen to what he says about his children. Here's just a few verses. First, he protects his children. God always protects his children. If you look at John 10, 27 to 29, you can flip there. You can just listen. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. God protects his children. That is awesome. Look at this. He also finds and cherishes all of his children. If you look at Matthew 18, 12 through 14, it's a parable, and it's talking about uh, 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 Christians that are going astray us in the whole, that church discipline context. But the whole context of church discipline is making sure that none of the children of God stray from God. Now, here's what he says in Matthew 18, 12 through 14. He said, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, over the one, more than the 99 that have not gone astray. So, and here's the point, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. There has never in the history of creation been one child of God perish because God finds and cherishes all of his children. God also warns us as sinners about hindering his children from coming to him. Matthew 19, 14, he says, let the children alone. Speaking to his disciples, people he loves, he says, do not hinder them from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. God warns about hindering children from coming to him, his children from coming to him. And then finally, the fourth point, he takes very seriously anyone who provokes his children to sin. And this is where it comes full circle, back to us as fathers, as parents, do not provoke your children. Listen to what God says about provoking his children to sin in Matthew eighteen six, He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That must weigh on our hearts as parents. We do not want to be the ones that cause his children to stumble. We do not want to be the ones that cause his children to be provoked. We cannot entertain sin in our lives that will cause his children to be provoked. 
that may ultimately bring reproach to his name, making his word seem burdensome or insufficient or causing his character to be maligned, making his children rebel against him, making the sins of this world seem safe or appealing because we professed to be led by the Spirit of God. We took his name, but we lived sinful, duplicitous, hypocritical lives and our children know it because they live with us. We cannot do that. We must live holy lives. We cannot provoke our children. God takes that sin very seriously for his name's sake and for their sake. We must exemplify godly, holy, pure character in our homes at all times. And when we fall short, and we will, right? And when we fall short, we must repent. We must humble ourselves in front of our children so that they see what humility and submission and repentance to God, to Jesus Christ, looks like. They need to witness our allegiance to Christ, even in our frailty and our weakness. Live a holy life, and when you fall short, humble yourself so that they may see this is what it looks like to give your life to Jesus Christ. God never provokes his children to sin. That's Satan's job, and we must imitate God he says in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy, for I am holy, right? That's, that's our calling. That's our job. That's what we are called to do. So how can we instruct our children to take faithful steps towards him if we ourselves haven't walked those faithful steps before them, right? I mean, it's your own stumbling, it's your own failing, your own weakness, your own repentance, your own striving after Christ that becomes the tangible example, not only for them to see, but for you to speak towards to them. When they get angry, you've been angry, but you can't be angry and act in anger in your sin. And so you instruct them not to be angry, but then you're able to shepherd them on what that looks like and how to be patient, how to deal with others that cause anger in you because you yourself have already done it. I've always said, and I've said this to my youth a lot and we talk about our family, there are always annoying people in your life and God has grace gifted those people there for you, for you to see what in you needs to change. And God gives us these people so that we see our impatience. We see our own self-righteous judgment. We see our lack of mercy, our lack of forgiveness. And as we, as we repent of those things and strive towards that kind of character, it becomes the, 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 the teaching examples that you take to your children to help them to know how to deal with their siblings and one another. God, grace gives us these things in our life so we know what to do. Now, you can look at all this and you say, well, I didn't do any of that. My kids turned out great, right? And I've heard people say, hey, you know, I, I didn't do any of that and my kids are fine. Do not mock God, right? Don't mock God. Don't look at your lack of submission or, or lack of faithfulness and be like, I'm the example that we don't have to submit to him and everything will turn out fine. In fact, You can pursue your own self-interest. You can entertain yourself. You can make a name and legacy for yourself in this present age. You can feign character for image. You can please and fear man instead of God. You can worship comfort. You can worship safety, self-preservation, the culture, the trends, or experiences in this life over faithful submission and enslavement to Christ. And still, by God's grace, raise children that come to know, love, and fear the Lord. But don't Steal his glory from him. This is the grace, the gracious love of our Father, that despite your faithlessness, despite our faithlessness, still drew every one of his children to himself. How much better would it be 
If, if, if we know him, love him, please him, submit to him, and glorify him, even in our weaknesses, even in our sins and troubles and trials and temptations, and constantly deny ourselves and humble ourselves and discipline ourselves and control ourselves for his glory and for the sake of our children, and then we see him face to face, and he says, you did good, well done, right? That's what we want. That's what we want. We always remember 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He's always faithful. We want to be faithful because he is faithful. Number two, we saw parents must pursue holiness. Parents must also practice discipline. Parents, we must practice discipline. He goes on to say, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here we have the positive command, the positive imperative here. He says, but on the contrary, you're not to do this, but here's what we are to do, and that is to raise them up. It's a command for all of us. To raise them up means to raise, to nourish, to provide for them, to uh, cause them to grow in maturity, to train them. That's our role. That's our job as parents. That's why God gave us his little children, and that's why he brought us together as husband and wife, to raise these children up. Uh, And we're to raise them through two things, through discipline and through instruction. This is how we are to parent our children. Discipline. Discipline means to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits or behavior. In other words, it's to correct, it's to train, it's to exercise with the purpose of bringing ourselves into alignment with what is right. And we do this all the time. We, we discipline ourselves, right? We discipline ourselves to bring ourselves in alignment with what is right. I mean, you can look at uh, analogies like sports and things like that. They discipline their body. They discipline uh, their muscles. They discipline their, their minds. And they train themselves to come into alignment with the best so that they can be the best at whatever they do. We discipline ourselves with education. We discipline ourselves in a lot of areas. As employees, we have to do that. And as parents, we are called to discipline our children. To discipline them, to correct them, to train them. We are the ones that are training them so that they know him. And this is always given in connection to the correction and discipline of the Lord. It's it's not our own standards and our own ideas that we discipline so they become little Brian's, you know what I mean, or little U's. We discipline them so that they come to know Jesus Christ and to believe in him and to live like him. And this is what our Heavenly Father does for us. Again, God is always the example. Look at how the Lord disciplines us, his children. He doesn't just save us, bling, and then just like leave us alone and we just do whatever we want to the rest of this life and then we end up in heaven, right? As children of God, from that point forward, it's all discipline. It's continual discipline towards holiness, towards godliness, towards Christ-likeness for our good and for his glory. And we can look at him as our example. And here's what the Lord does for us. He instructs us with his truth from his own lips, right? His word. And, and, uh, and then he disciplines us. And here's how he does it. He does it through endurance, through perseverance, through conviction, through suffering, through trials, through testing, distress, loss, and pain, right? That's how the Lord disciplines us. We read his word. Even right now, you may be in the process of discipline. As you read the word right now, and you're looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I've got to work on this. And you have that conviction. It's just in your ear, and it's in your heart, and you know you've got to change. And you, you know specifically the, the, the foremost thing you've got to change right now. And this and this and this or follow right after that. And we know what to do with that instruction. We read the instruction. He disciplines us through the Spirit. And then it's our uh, responsibility to walk out the door and to change. You know, and if we walk uh, against that conviction, against that discipline, then he brings other means of discipline in our life. He brings the body, the church, the body of Jesus Christ through counsel to come alongside us and to help us through admonition, to help us to follow him, right? 
He uses the body of Christ. He uses circumstances in our lives. I remember when I first read or actually understood, uh, it was in Philippians 129 where it says, suffering is a grace gift given to us by God. That blew my mind. How is suffering a grace gift? But now through years of walking with Christ, I look back at life and it is always the pain, the trials, the suffering that just propels us towards him. It's in the times of comfort that we tend to get lazy and forget him, to not pursue him. God uses trials and suffering in our life to pull our allegiance from this world, to take our mind off earthly things, and to focus us on things above. And it's wonderful. And it comes through hard times. But he loves us, and he will do anything to cause us to become more and more like him. And we have to have that same love towards our children. Hebrews 12, 7 says, It's for discipline that we endure. That is why we endure in this life. That's why we continue to live. And we continue to go through hard times. And we continue to struggle with our own temptations. And with trials that happen from outside of us. And all these different things. And we continue to strive in allegiance to Jesus Christ. And he uses us. Or he uses this endurance to discipline us. And we don't hate him for it. In fact, James 1, 2 through 4, right? We consider it joy. We consider it joy when we go through tests and trials. Because we know, because we trust him, that these tests and these trials are meant for our Christ-likeness. He uses these so that we lack nothing, that we look more like him. And that causes us to be joyful in trials. It's not just some sort of mental thing where Christians are just like, well, we just forget about it and we'll be happy even though everything's falling apart. We look at life and we're like, nothing will separate us from God and all things are meant for our good. And so we just watch things fall around us and we're like, God is awesome and we just keep going forward. And that's the heart of the believer. We see his discipline and we know it's grounded in his love and his character. And we don't hate him for it, we love him for it. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11 says, he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. That is amazing. I don't know why I'm suffering so much. So you can share in his holiness. I don't know why I just got laid off from my job. So you can share in his holiness. I don't know why I just fight this sin and I just can't get over it. And I fight it and I fight and I fight for his holiness. So you can share in his holiness. I remember when I first became a believer, I used to pray, God, take it away, take it away, take it away on certain sins in my life. And I watched myself to continue to struggle and struggle and fight and fight. And after years, I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness. He took those things that I asked him to rip out on day one. He left them there and I fought through them and I fought to glorify him. And I struggled and I fought and he produced a change of character. He produced more and more holiness. Now I'm not there. I'm in the middle of the fight. We all are. But he uses those things for our holiness. And he uses those things for us to share in his holiness. And it's all his work through his spirit, through his word. This is what he does. That's what our father does for us. Isn't that awesome? He disciplines us because he loves us. And his discipline is always grounded in his love. It's, it, and, and he says in Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, he disciplines us for our good so we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, right? Yet... To those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is awesome. God disciplines his children. Many times in the middle of it, we don't want it. And then looking back on it, we see how he's changed us, made us more holy. We partake of the, the fruit of his righteousness. Parents, we have that role in the lives of our children we are called to discipline our children so they grow up to fear, love, and know and obey Jesus Christ. 
I think sometimes we read these things and we're like, oh, that's, that's good wisdom. I'll just stick that over here in my head and do what I want to do. But if we submit to the word of God and believe this, God says foolishness is in the heart of our child. You know how to remove the foolishness? The rod of instruction. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14, do not hold back discipline from your child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. And you will strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. It's a way better outcome, right? Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And this is the biggest one. Proverbs 13, 24, he who withholds the rod hates his son. And again, it's not up to us to agree or to disagree, but to submit and to believe in what he says. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Parents, we must practice discipline. Finally, number three, parents must preach his truth. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instruction just means putting it in their mind, putting it into the mind, imparting knowledge, truth, understanding, advising his children about the dangers of sin, the necessity of submission and obedience to Jesus Christ. That's our job. We are their counselors. We are the ones that bring admonition and correction of the mind. We are the ones that must retrain that folly. The rod of discipline may drive it out, but it's the instruction, right, that retrains the mind to be wise rather than foolish, to be heavenly-minded rather than earthly-minded, to be led by the Spirit of God or at least recognize what the Spirit of God looks like as opposed to what the spirit of man or the spirit of this present age looks like. We must instruct our children. It says, of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. Our discipline, our instruction must be submissive to the word of God. It must convey nothing more and nothing less than his divine instruction. We must open our lips and repeat the things that has come from his lips to our children so that they know what he is like, what his character is, what truth is, and what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We must discipline and instruct our children in exactly what our Father disciplines and instructs us. We must walk like Christ, submitting ourselves to our Father and all that he spoke, and to live like Christ, and to love them like Christ loves the church, and to give up our life so that they may see what it looks like uh, to live in, in selfless, sacrificial love and submission. It is he who cleanses his children with his word and sanctifies them with his truth and nourishes and cherishes and loves them. As, and, and we must be the ones that, that speak his truth to them. We are the divinely appointed guardians and preachers and shepherds for our children. I mean, again, you look at, 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 at 1 Timothy and it talks about uh, the, a man that wants to, to be a pastor. And, and one of the, the number one qualifications of an elder in a church is that he must be able uh, to, to lead his household, right? He must be able to be the head of his house and to lead his, his wife and help his wife, lay down his life for his wife and, and help her to become uh, more and more like Christ and, and wash and, uh, her and cherish her and all that. And then he must be able to discipline and instruct his children because if you think about it, if you're failing with the one or the two or the three people that God has ordained you to shepherd, then we have no business trying to go out of side of the family and, and, and shepherd someone else. We all have the calling of being a shepherd in our homes. We all have the calling of being a shepherd in our homes. We have the responsibility to teach them to know, love, fear, and cherish Jesus Christ and to follow him. And his truth needs to surround us, pour out from our lips, manifest itself in our actions. It needs to define our character. It must be evident in our homes. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Here's another verse. Parents, you got it. Ephesians 6, 4 must be on our minds at all times. And then Deuteronomy 6. Uh, actually, I have Deuteronomy 6 
4 through 9 on my wall in my office just to see it every day, just so I don't ever stray far from it. Because I forget. I don't, I don't have it all memorized, and I don't know it all in the sense that I'm walking around and saying it all the time. But I want it in front of me all the time. And here's what it says. Deuteronomy 6 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me, Moses, to teach to you, the Israelites that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. He teaches them for the purpose of action, for obedience, for doing, so that for this purpose, that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. The Israelites did not say, well, in your sovereignty, you'll draw your children to yourself, so it doesn't matter what we do. He says, listen, I've put you there to teach your, your children so that your sons and your grandsons know me, and that's your responsibility, parents. All right, so the, 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 we still have the same responsibility as, as believers in Jesus Christ. He says, O oh Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may be multiplied greatly, just as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. Listen, parents, listen to this. Verse 7, here it is. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them. And look how often we talk of them. When you sit in your houses, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, we're always talking about them. Always speaking of the glories of God and the truth of his word. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, wherever we're going, we're walking out the gates to go into the world. And there they are before we leave. They're on our doorposts or they're on our, our door frames in our houses. In other words, the word of God is visible. In your house, the word of God is there. The word of God is coming out of your mouth. You're exemplifying the word of God in the way that you live your life. Your children should see the word of God consistently everywhere they look, whether it's written somewhere or whether it's happening in you, in your words and in your actions. The word of God must be everywhere. We must preach the truth to our children. So we'll end with this. Parents, we must preach his truth. We must practice discipline. We must live holy lives. And this must be our New Year's resolution. All of us, all of us have a long way to go, right? And we're all in this together. We must live holy lives for the glory of God and the salvation and sanctification of our children. We must discipline our children for the glory of God and for their own salvation and sanctification. And we must instruct our children with the truth of his word for his glory and for their salvation and sanctification. That begins by retraining our minds daily to understand and believe the love that God has for his children and realizing these are his children and he loves them. We must retrain our mind uh, to, to know this and to discern the ways that he manifests his love. We have to retrain our minds daily to understand the God-ordained role that God has given us. We forget. You might walk, be right now be like, man, that was great. I'm, that was a convicting sermon. And you walk out the door and then tomorrow you go to work and you're like, what do you say? You know, because that's what I do. I mean, that, that's what happens. Daily, retrain our minds. Daily, read the word so that we realize our role with our children, never hindering them to come to him, never provoking them, never exasperating them. And when we do, repenting and humility going to them, saying, please forgive me, I'm a sinner, I fell short. We must both glorify God. We must nurture, cherish, discipline, instruct our children to know their father Here's what that looks like, and here's things that we have to do. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's things that we must do. We have to memorize what the Word of God says about parenting. We've got to do that, parents. If we don't know what His instruction is, there's no way we can do it, right? 
We've got to read it. We've got to memorize it. We've got to know it so that we can do it. We have to practice what the Word of God says about parenting. Knowing it's not enough. You might be able to quote the whole Bible, but if you're not doing it, it is meaningless. We must practice what he says. We must seek counsel from parents that are older than us who have raised godly children. We got to do this, young parents. If you're only looking to your peers for help, you are a fool. Look around. This is a whole church of faithful, godly parents that have walked ahead of us. They're five years ahead. They're 10 years ahead. They're 15 years ahead. Find the one, look at the, join the youth group and look at the, the kids right? and then go, whose mom are you? You know, and then go find those parents and be like, what did you do? And then ask them, get help, ask for counsel. We have godly parents all around us that will give us counsel. Older parents, give godly pa- counsel to us. Find us. Find the ones whose kids are just running around going, ah, and go, hey, come here. <laughs> that might be a little bit harder. <laughs> Uh, but, but we need, we need the body of Christ. We're in this together. And God has allowed all of us to, to fail, to stumble, to, 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 to plow through this when we've learned things along the way that we can impart to others to help each of us become more and more like Christ and raise godly children. And then finally, read, read books. Read just the best books. There's lots of bad books. First, go to those godly parents and ask counsel. Find one or two good parenting books and read them and then practice those things. It's just like having a, a teacher there that, that, you know, on your nightstand that can help you. Listen, we are all in this together. We are all the body of Christ. And as the body, we must work together for the nourishment, the strength, the vitality of the entire body. Don't be ashamed if you feel like you're failing. All of the best parents feel like failures. And they'll all tell you that. The best parents know that they failed along the way. Those are the ones you want to go get counsel from. It's in our failures and our weaknesses. If they're followed by repentance and obedience, that is what strengthens us. This this, this is the scariest thing. It's the only parents who should be ashamed are the ones who think they're doing a better job than everybody else. They can look around and be like, yeah, my kids are awesome. And they're much better than most people here. I'm nailing it. Don't go to them. Find the weak, find the frail, find the humble. Find the ones that are submissive to the word of God and the ones that will tell you that and the ones that will tell you the only reason my children turned out the way they did is him. But you're looking at their lives and you're going, no, 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 you're doing something right here. That's the ones you want to talk to. Find the humble. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love and your mercy and your kindness. We're completely dependent upon you. If there is anything good in us, it is only because your spirit has done that work in us and your grace has produced good in us. You are a faithful, merciful, patient, kind God. Thank you for being patient with us as we strive to, to discipline and instruct your children. And we pray, Father, give us, give us courage, give us wisdom and discernment, give us humility, help us to be submissive to your word. Father, help us to be faithful parents this year and help us to come alongside one another and, 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 and help one another to train up these little children that you made to love you, to fear you, to believe in you, to follow you, to know that you are God and there is no other. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of you. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.